Well, I was expecting um, uh, how it works with the preamble or something. Not that you have to do that, you know. Just we normally do it where I come from. That's okay, you know. Everything's different. That's good. By the way, my name is Patty, and I'm an alcoholic. And if I sound a little froggy tonight, it's because I am. Um, I'm a member of the Pockets of Enthusiasm Big Book Study. And my sober date is February the 8th, 1977. And uh, there are several state cops that are just so happy about that sobriety date. I used to get in trouble a lot in Virginia and Texas and and uh, Florida, and et cetera, et cetera. And it's just so nice to be here. Before I forget, because I always do, I want to thank the committee for inviting me. I mean that sincerely. Um, Katie, my first sponsor, used to tell me that it's an honor and a joy to uh, be invited anywhere to give my little message of recovery. And I think the uh, longer I'm sober, I think that it becomes acutely aware to me how much of an honor and a joy it really is. Um, I love Alcoholics Anonymous. I really love Alcoholics Anonymous. I um, a lot of times forget to mention the uh, theme. And I like this theme that you have, that you chose. Because I hope tonight, if you hear anything, you're going to hear something that is a solution. Um, I know too often, uh, this alcoholic Patty, I better just talk about me. This alcoholic Patty sometimes deals too much in the problem and not enough in the solution. And I don't think that's fair. Because the, the life I've had for the last it's coming up on 16 years in February. Isn't that neat? Yeah. Gee, it just blows my mind sometimes when I think about it. Oh, I really, I, I really have more fun than anybody at my birthday. <laughs> I love it. And I pout like hell when they forget. <laughs> I do. But I think uh, sometimes this alcoholic Patty deals too, too much with the problem and not enough with the uh, the solution. At our meeting at the Pockets of Enthusiasm Big Book Study, we meet on Tuesday in the city of Chicago, uh, 7.30, um, Church of the Ascension, LaSalle and Elm Street. I always get that plug in for my home group. And please bring your big book, Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, up where I come from, sometimes they think the road less traveled by F. Scott Peck or anything by Emmett Fox is the big book. But this is the big book for those of you that are maybe new to Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, if you don't bring your big book, we charge you a dollar extra in the pot. Well, we're all immature brat babies who haven't grown up, and this is supposed to be emotional maturity, isn't it? So bring your big books. I want to read my terminal disclaimer. <laughs> I have learned uh, to read this at the beginning of my talk. And it just, it just eliminates all kind of BS after my talk. See? About people taking my inventory. God, I hate it when people take my inventory. <laughs> I have a sponsor that does that on a regular basis. I don't need you to do it. Okay. It says in the chapter called There is a Solution. Don't you like that? How I brought that in, man, just tied everything together, huh? 
It says, each individual in the personal stories describes in his own language. Did you hear that, Alanon? Don't be telling me about my potty mouth after this is all over now. Describes in his own language and from his own point of view the way he established his relationship with God. So that's what I want to tell you tonight, how I have established a relationship with a power greater than myself. See, I'm one of these alcoholics that believes that alcohol is not my problem. And I don't think the solution is group therapy or ACOA or um, all these other little uh, meditation groups we got going on now. And this Pablum Pugh bullshit uh, uh, that they call AA now in some areas of the country. I don't think that's my solution. I think the problem is Patty is an immature little brat baby who never grew up, who found alcohol, and I think alcohol saved my life because alcohol saved my life until I got here to you people. And I think the solution, Dr. Silkworth said my solution was an entire psychic change, and Bill Wilson said lack of power was my dilemma, and that if I could find a power greater than myself, it would solve all my problems. So I think that's my problem and my solution. And I just want to tell you about the story about how I'm trying to find my solution. Some of it's real sad. As a matter of fact, it's so sad. I get to crying about it. I really do. And I don't want to talk about it too much because if I do, I'll ruin my mascara. I'll do a Tammy Faye Baker act. You know, my God, it'll be just awful. And I'd rather talk about the solution because I have a lot of fun talking about the solution. Because I just, I found out sobriety is a blast. I am not one of these somber alcoholics. I just love enjoying life. I really enjoy life. I like all the things that go up to making life, you know. I love hugging and kissing and, and laughing. And I, I just, I love life today. I found uh, alcohol at a real young age. Um, and it, it was wonderful. My God, it was wonderful. I was the... I was the shyest, ugliest two things on. <laughs> I was just so ugly. And, and alcohol, when I, when I had my first drink of alcohol, it just made everything wonderful. And the second and the third and the fourth beer I had that day was just great. It was an instant love affair. It was a love affair that I have never been ever to match or equal with any man on the face of the earth. And it was, uh, and it worked better than a lot of men too. Cause you know sometimes they don't work when they should. Uh. Now we'll progress on to my story here. <laughs> but I, um, I loved it. Right from get-go, I wasn't one of those sloppy, puking, falling down, um, slobber in my beer alcoholics. Alcohol worked for me for a lot of years, for about the first 15 years. It just, it, it worked for me. It was like a magic elixir. When I, when I had alcohol in me, I could do anything. I could be any, oh, just anything. I was an actress. And I think that's why we alcoholics probably will be excellent in this little skit that's coming up tomorrow is because all alcoholics are just actors and actresses. We're just born liars, you know. <laughs> I mean, you know, if we don't know the answer to something, hell, we'll just make it up and convince you. 
that we know what we're talking about. You know, we sound so good. <laughs> and I loved out and it let me it let me do and be what I wanted to do and be. And I and when I had the alcohol in me, I could dance, I could tell jokes, and I was pretty, sexy. I could be anything when I had that alcohol in me. And just like you, there was a point when the alcohol didn't work anymore. No matter what I drank, when I drank it, who I drank it with, it just didn't work anymore. And we all know. Now, I'm, I don't want you all to think I'm anti-smoking, but I really got a bad flu. So if you could hold down that cigarette smoking for a while so I don't choke up, then we're going to do all right. Okay, is that a deal? Then you can go out and smoke your lungs out. Honey, you can get cancer. You can do anything you want to do. Who cares, you know? Just kind of hold it down for a little bit tonight. Then you can do what you want to do. I had a little heart attack about three weeks ago. I have to tell you this story. It's real funny. <laughs> it's like an alcoholic sailor heart attack. It's funny. I was driving to work on the Dan Ryan. Anybody up here ever drive on the Dan Ryan in Chicago? Well, you know what the hell I mean, you know. That's like the Indianapolis 500. You get on there, you get, you take your life in your hand. Hey, Mercedes and Porsches, you know, they do 120 mile an hour, bumper to bumper. And my car says 85. That's the highest my little car will go, 85. And you just got to think fast when you get on the Dan Ryan, you know. So I'm on the Dan Ryan this morning driving to work, and I thought, my God, I think I'm having me a little heart attack. I thought, I wonder what I should do. You know, because I still had the committee up here, you know, the committee. And the committee, we took a little vote and decided we better go to a hospital. Well, it's hard. To, when you're doing 120 miles an hour, it's kind of hard to get off, you know. Of course, when you get on the Dan Ryan, you just stay in that one little lane. You know, you don't move around. And so I thought, well, I, maybe I should go to Mercy Hospital. I thought, nah, I don't think that thing is good for is last right. It's Catholic Hospital. Last rights. And and uh, the alcoholic ward, that's the only thing that place is good for. And then they have Rush Presbyterian St. Luke's, and uh, they're a teaching hospital. I said, they, they'll know what to do. So very calmly, I drove 70 blocks. Yeah, that's true. 70 blocks, and uh, and got off the exit, went into the parking lot, got my ticket. You know, you, you do, you know, you, you have to be nice about it. Drove into my parking spot, locked the car up. Put oh mark down on the card where I parked the car. You know, you're, yeah, I'm having a little heart attack, but you mark down where you because I'm tired of losing my car. You know, when I was drinking, I lost my car a lot. So I marked down where my car was parked, and I <clears throat> went up to the fourth floor receptionist, and she said, "Yes, may I help you?" And I said, um, "I think I'm having a little heart attack." She said, "Oh my God, sit down." And um, I was proud of this hospital. They came and got me and had me in the emergency room. And they had me naked, and they had a, um, a cuff on this arm. They had an EKG on my chest and an IV solution in this arm before they even checked my insurance card. <laughs> I was real proud of them. <laughs> I loved it. And uh, so they kept me for about a week and said, uh, Patty, uh, you suffer from too much stress. That, that's the big word now, stress. And I thought, well, it was nice, you know, a little vacation. Five-week vacation. I watched them soap operas. You'd have to be an alcoholic to watch them soap operas, I'm telling you. Jesus, I thought I came from a dysfunctional family. 
Well, anyway, and then last week I got this big flu, you know, and uh, I went to the doctor, and you know how we alcoholics like to uh, diagnose ourselves, you know, Hey, y'all got to know what I mean about this. We we go tell the doctor what's wrong with us and how to treat us and what medicine to give, give us. So I went in and I said, Jerry, I said, I think I got a little case of the flu. Like, give me a big shot because I got to be down in Arkansas this weekend. Give me a big shot and uh, give me some of that C-Pro, that big high uh, antibiotics. And, and he said, yes, ma'am, I will. And he's just being real nasty and tested, you know. Yes, ma'am, I will. Yeah. So he wrote it out. He did what I told him to do. But that's the way we alcoholics are. So um, it's just nice to be alive and be down here. Anyway, back to my sad-ass story. So here we are. I'm drinking alcohol, thoroughly enjoying it, and I get to a point where alcohol doesn't work anymore. Now, I'm about 15 years into my drinking. Now, I don't want you to think that life was wonderful those 15 years. Um, the worst part about my drinking was the heart, what, it was the exact same thing, and let, let me, oh, it's gonna sound so goofy. I can never say this right, and I think you know what I mean. The thing that played the worst in my drinking was the worst for me in my sobriety. I had this issue with power. Power. I, uh, I want power. I've always been a controller and a power freak. I want to be on top. I want to have the power. I don't want to share your power. I want power all to my own. Now, that played a big part in my drinking, and in recovery, it has been my biggest bugaboo. Uh, I, I started uh, shooting people when I was drinking. I had a 38. I found out you could get instant respect when you had a big gun. Kind of like Dirty Harry, you know. Go ahead and make my day. <laughs> and you did. You got a lot of respect. People just really treat you. I Also, there's another part, another thing that I found out through Fort Step Inventory. I didn't know until I got sober. I suspected it, but I didn't know it. I didn't know how much I hated being a woman. Now I know we're not gonna, I'm not gonna stand up here today and go into controversy and go into all kind of issues that maybe don't belong at an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, but I think since it plays a part in my story and a part in my recovery and a part in my solution, I think I have to talk about it a little bit. If it offends anybody, too bad. <laughs> when you're asked to speak up here, then you can say what you want to say. Until then, too bad. <laughs> I love it. See, power. I told you, didn't I? Power. I hated being a woman. I hated being a woman because when I was a kid growing up, women were second-class citizens. Not too much has changed. We're second-class citizens. <clears throat> Hooray for Hillary. And I'm a Republican. <laughs> anyway. Oh, man, I can see... You better put on a real long tape tonight, Robert. I'm hot tonight. Anyway, and and I hated being a woman because I came, uh, I lived with this uh, mother of mine uh, till I was nine, and then I went to live with my dad, and my dad was Cicillian, and he was a uh, uh, mafia, and he was a big, powerful man, and I saw what the kind of power he had, and I wanted it. 
You know, in the book it says, do you, if you want what we have, I wanted what he had. Everybody, everybody uh, treated my father with respect. Uh, they deferred to him, and I liked that. When I was a little girl, about 10 or 11, I remember one night, it was in the hot summertime, my dad said he had to go downtown. We lived in Washington, D.C., and he had to go downtown. And we went to this very, very beautiful house on Pennsylvania Avenue. Oh, it's just gorgeous. And it, they were doing some construction all on the inside of this house. And this very nice-looking older man came over, and he was talking, and he called my father Joe. And um, it was the only man I had ever seen my father defer to. And so I paid attention. This is, and and uh, my father kept saying, Mr. President. And it was Harry S. Truman. They were, uh, my father was a building contractor, and they were, they had gutted the White House, and it was all being all renovated, and, and, um, I, I wanted what my father had. And I hated being a woman. I didn't, I knew, I knew I didn't want to be a baby maker that sat in the kitchen with the rest of the women and drank little Anstead. I didn't want that. I always wanted to be with the guys. I always wanted to be with the men. I always wanted to be where the, it had nothing to do with sex. It had to do with power because the men had the power and I wanted to be with the men because the men had the power. And I know it could never have it. I, I, I haven't told this story in a long time, but there was a, this person named George Jorgensen back in the late 40s, early 50s that went over to Denmark and came back Christine Jorgensen. And I read that in the paper, and I thought when I got old enough, I would go over as Patty and come back as Patrick. And then I could really have power. And I found out they can do the operation from boy to girl, but it's harder now to do from girl to boy, for obvious reasons. <laughs> and it had nothing to do with loving women or liking women or being sexually attracted to women. I like boys. Honey, I just like boys. I do think all are me, you know. But I want to talk. Okay, enough of that. And when I found the alcohol, it, it gave me that. It gave me that sense of power. And that's all I'll talk about. The last seven years of my uh, drinking, uh, the first uh, 15, they got to be kind of real hellish. Um, I'd, I don't want to go into these horror stories. I think we we get a lot of that today in AA meetings. I'm sad to say, of where I come from, it's a, a lot of can you top the this meetings, and they're not fun to be at these meetings. I remember the first meeting I ever went to in Chicago. Uh, I had found my sobriety in Florida, and I I was about two years sober when I moved to Chicago area. And my very first meeting was the Whiting Young People's Group, and the youngest one there was me, and I was. 39 and a half years old, and I thought, oh, 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 this is something. Young people, huh? And, and the, uh, the, the, it was, uh, hosted by the Park Forest Animal House. Uh huh. Very spiritual group. And, um, and it was a, can you top this meeting? And everybody was going around the table telling the worst stories. Whoa! And the, and the last one to talk was gonna be me, and this guy that talked next Next to me, he says, well, I've done everything y'all have done in this room, except I've never murdered anybody, and I've never kissed another man on the mouth. 
I pass. And then it was my turn. And the only time in, in almost 16 years of sobriety, I did the, 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 the best thing, the spiritual thing to do, I passed. Because I didn't want to top that, and I could have. <laughs> I was in prison five times. When you're in a female prison, you kiss a lot of things. <laughs> Not the mouth, either. Well, and... Four cops got in my way one time of my pistola. So I passed. And I came home that night and I felt rotten. I really felt rotten. And I and I, I thought, God, I don't want to go back to meetings like that because uh, the ego kicks in. And I'm an egomaniac and I don't want to do things like that. Okay, let's talk about the solution. Um, I came to Alcoholics Anonymous. See, I kept telling, I've been telling you that I, my sober date is February the 8th, 1977. But I went to my very first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, and by the way, I've never left. <laughs> never left. January 1959. Now, if you're good at arithmetic, there's a lot of difference between January 1959 and February the 8th, 1977. And I never left you. I just went to meetings one day at a time, and then got drunk one day at a time. See? And and so I hear today, oh, you have to go to meetings, 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 meetings. Meetings are important. You can't stay sober unless you go to meetings. <laughs> That's bullshit. That's bullshit. I found out that there are a lot of people who have never been to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. They have this book, and they have some correspondence from the General Service Office, and they call themselves loners, and they've been sober for a long time. Now, I'm not against meetings. I think meetings are wonderful. I love going to meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous. I love going to meetings with people who are trying to do one day at a time what I'm trying to do, who one day at a time come and tell me about the successes that they have and the failures that they have. And yet they've been able to take both the successes and the failures and use them as stepping stones and not stumbling blocks. I love that. And besides, that's where my friends are. That's where my buddies are. So I like going to meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous. I um, I want to talk a lot about my first two years of sobriety. Sometimes I think I concentrate an awful lot on that. But it was such a neat part, looking back at it now, <laughs> in hindsight, it was such a neat part of my sobriety that I don't think I'd be up here tonight talking unless I had that first two years of sobriety. On February the 8th, 1977, I weighed 385 pounds. I was covered with syphilis and wine sores. I had pus running out of every part of my body. I had no hair, no teeth, and no fingernails. And I was on life parole from prison. And I was, my parole officer was looking for me. I had been living up underneath the bridge in Eloise, Florida, living in a freezer box, drinking rubbing alcohol. Now that's not meant to scare you or frighten you because you can't do that to an alcoholic. You can't scare them or frighten them. You know, but those things will happen to you too if you keep on drinking. And those things will happen to you too if you just stay dry one day at a time and don't have this solution, this psychic change that the book talks about. So on February the 8th, 1977, something happened. <laughs> Isn't that great the way alcoholics say that? Something happened. Ta-da! A big zap out of the sky. You know, was it a bird or a plane? 
I don't know. All I know is that on February the 8th, 1977, I got tired. I was tired. I didn't want to live that way anymore. I didn't want to live that way anymore. I was so tired. And I have experienced that same kind of tired many times in sobriety. Many, many times in sobriety. And I think that's a God-given gift to me, to Patty. Because it makes me want to grow. It makes me want to get off my dead ass and do something about my life. But I got tired. I didn't want to live that way. I didn't want to be the kind of person that I was. The liar, the conniver, the angle shooter, the thief, the whore, the, the murderer. I didn't want to be that kind of person anymore. I didn't want to be that kind of hateful, venom, ugly, evil person. And I was evil. I was so evil that all the evilness that was inside my body had come finally come out on the outside like that portrait of Dorian Gray and all that evilness that was inside came on the outside and everything that was on the outside became mutilated and ugly and venomous. And it and that patty on that morning didn't didn't resemble a human being at all. If you'd have seen me you'd have, you'd have turned your head in horror. That's how ugly it was. And I think I said something like, Dear God help me. I think that was the big prayer, <laughs> the big prayer. We alcoholics, you know, please don't ever discount the prayers you said drinking. They worked. They got your ass here. I think God listens to alcoholics' prayers. And I think when the alcoholic finally gets sick and tired of being sick and tired, I think God intervenes when he's asked. And I said my prayer. I asked God to intervene, and I said, "Dear God, help me." And God listened to my prayer. And I went. I was in Tampa, Florida, and I got to Lakeland, Florida. It's a distance of about 50 miles away, and I don't even to this day know how I got there. And I, they found me crawling down the seventh floor corridor of Lakeland General Hospital, where they have meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I had been to those meetings many times. And this wonderful man, Bob Terry, I break his anonymity. <laughs> I shouldn't do it, but I do it. Bob Terry, he propped me up against the wall, and he thought he recognized me, and 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 he put his arms around me. Uh, you see, this is what brings me back to Alcoholics Anonymous. That man, that day, put his arms around this stinking, puking, awful pus ugly, syphilis person and hugged me and said, welcome back, babe. And that's the reason I come to Alcoholics Anonymous. See, I know as a whole, you will never hurt me. Oh, individually, you're capable of hurting me. But I know as a whole, you will never do anything except my highest good. I know that. And that's why I have learned today to trust this Patty to you. And I'm not big on trust even today. I'm only sober coming up on 16 years. Don't expect miracles right away. <laughs> but whatever trust I have today, I trust to you. And I just don't mean you alcoholics either. I have trusted my soul with Al-Anon family groups and I have trusted my soul with Alateen. And as a group, you've never let me down. And I continue doing it one day at a time. See, they weren't going to keep me in that hospital. I was dying. 
my heart was giving out. My liver had given out. I only have 15% of my liver. I have a kidney, a left kidney. They've been wanting to yank this little sucker out for 15 and a half years now. And, and I just drink a lot of water and pee a lot. And it's getting so healthy, it's wonderful, see. And the doctor says, oh, Patty, you have angina real bad. We're going to have to rotor-rooter you. We're going to have to ream you all out. I say, hell with you. I've seen more old recovering alcoholics than I've seen old doctors piss on you. <laughs> and I blew my pancreas. I have alcohol-induced diabetes. But if you ask me how I feel tonight, great. I feel great. But on February the 8th, 1977, I was dying. And I did die that night, a couple of times. And the next 20 days, I died a lot, and my heart would stop. And the hospital didn't want to keep me because I didn't have any money, you know. And they said that they would keep me. Excuse me, I'm getting ready to choke you. And they said they would keep me if uh, if the Alanons and the AAs and the Alateens would stay with me. And 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 the person came every two hours, every two hours for six months, and they stayed with me. You know what every two hours is for six months? And I'd wake up, I'd come too, and there'd be a new person sitting there. Sometimes it was an older Alateen. Sometimes it was a member of the Al-Anon family group. Sometimes it was a member of AA. And they saved my life. I died a lot. And they would put the paddles on me and stick me and bring me back. And one one day I woke up and there was this vision sitting there. This woman had 92 teeth. <laughs> Pearls, all of them. I never saw a woman smile. She looked like a, a orangutan. You have you ever seen a orangutan or a gorilla? You know when they they smile and they put their their gums back and there's all those teeth. That was Katie Haygood. I was to be my first sponsor. A woman smiled all the time, and I thought this woman is either retarded or she's evil, one of the two. And she was my sponsor for two years. I never did figure out what she was. But I want to tell you, I. I developed an instant hate for this woman. She started calling me Darlin. And Darlin became Precious. That's how I got my name. She named me Precious. I used to go to my home group. And they'd have one of these old bleeding deacons there at my old home group. I know you don't have any here in Portland. Uh, and they'd have a bleeding deacon there. And he'd be taking my inventory. And I'd jump up on the table. And I'd go over to him. And bend over, because I was standing on the table. And I'd say, you miserable son of a bitch. I says, I'll be sober the day they put you in the grave. And Katie would say, oh, Patty, what a wonderful comment. Now come and sit down, precious. Come and sit down, precious. That was a wonderful comment. And so when she would call me precious, everybody took the cue and they started calling me precious thinking it would calm me down. It just irritated the hell out of me when they called me precious. They called me precious, I called them asshole. 
Come to think of it, I still call some of them assholes. Katie let me know. She said she quoted to me from the book all the time. And she, she kept telling me, she said, don't waste my time. Don't waste my time. If you want what we have and are willing to go to any length, I'm willing to go to any length with you. But there's certain things you've got to be willing to do. And I thought, oh, my God, it was she was going to baptize me down in the Indian River or some such nonsense. Because Clarence Snyder was doing that in those days. Mm -hmm. She said, I want you to become a spiritual woman. I thought, oh, God, because I had been raised up in the Baptist church with my mother. You know, what I, I'm in Arkansas. You all know what I mean. Sanctified Baptist. Jesus. Even Jesus Christ couldn't be a sanctified Baptist. Oh! Wait a minute, we can't get controversial, can we, here now, call it snubs. And then I went and became with, living with my dad, and he was an R.C., Roman Catholic. Back in the days when Roman Catholics acted like Roman Catholics, instead of like swinging, uh, now I can't say that from the podium. Anyway, so I was real confused about religion, and so when she told me she wanted me to become a spiritual person, I had all these thoughts of the candles burning and the Baptist, you know, you can't have sex standing up. They might think you're dancing. Jesus, all these things. And, and I, I just didn't want to have any truck with this, with this Katie Haygood because I just thought she was going to make me into a dull, boring person. And so when I got, when I started going to these, I got discharged from the hospital and I started going to these meetings and she picked out my home group, she picked out my AA buddies, she picked out my running buddies, she picked out everything, everything this woman picked out, everything. She said she was going to do my thinking for me because my best thinking had got me to Alcoholics Anonymous. So she knew what my best thinking could do. And and uh, and she said that AA as a whole was going to do my thinking for me. And I hated her. I hated her. I hated her. And I just badmouthed her every chance I got. And I would go across town to meetings. And I would badmouth her. And my God, before I got back across town, Katie knew about it, was calling me up on the phone. You know, we don't gossip in AA, but Jesus, news travels fast, I'm telling you. And so one day I said, Katie, how come you never take me on retreats? You take these other girls on retreats. You go to retreats, and I hear y'all talk about them. But how come you never take me on retreats? And every once in a while, my, she'd get testy with me. Have you ever, you ever had some to get testy with you? Oh, God, it's awful. She'd say, spiritual, you want spiritual? I'll give you spiritual and go to work. Get a job, pay your bills, vote. Vote. That's my, see, if I'm your sponsor and you go out and drink, I'm still your sponsor. But if you don't go vote, I fire your ass. Because that's spiritual, voting. See, I learned that. And I voted. See, this is the receipt you get in, in, um, in um, Illinois. And when I went to my meeting, I held my receipt up. And all of my babies held their receipt up. And if they didn't, they were fired. Well, too bad. Some are sicker than others, see? But what I didn't know was my husband used to go outside the voting booth and collect these receipts and sell them to my babies for five dollars. 
so she said I had to get a job. And I said, Katie, I'm, I'm, um, nobody hire me. Look at me. Look at me. I, I, I'm, I'm ugly and, and, um, uh, fat and syphilis and, and nobody will hire me. No hair. And she said, God will provide. And she went with that God shit again. Man, stick it up your ass. So she made me go out and fill out five job applications every single day. I couldn't go to the 2720 Club until I had filled out five job applications. Five. Do you hear them? One, two, three, four, five. And she, and I had to tell her which ones I went to, and she checked up on me. She didn't believe anything I said. And I go in, and she said I had to wake up, clean up, suit up, and shut up, and show up. And I go, and I go, I had a little resume, she helped me get a little resume together, and I go out to these, oh my god, I went, I even went to Wikiwachi in Florida, I was gonna become a mermaid, you know? And they almost hired me, but they found out I wore a wig, and they were afraid my wig would float to the top. See? Cause I'm a good swimmer. And, uh, so finally, I go to these places, and I'd hand my little resume, and the man or the woman that was interviewing me would laugh at me. And that hurt. They'd laugh at me. And they'd tear up my resume right in front of me and throw it in the basket. They'd be laughing so hard. Now, I have to tell you about Katie because this is so important. This is what I mean about there is a solution. You know what Katie made me do? She made me go to that person and extend my hand. And say, thank you for taking time out of your busy day to interview me. And although you don't have a job for me now, maybe in three months you would uh, interview me again. Thank you. And she said I was to walk out of that interview with my head up and my tits out. Katie used to tell me all the time I was a precious child of God and it was about time I started acting like one. Well, do you think I wanted to go over and shake that sucker's hand and say those words to him? Do you know what I wanted to say to him? Do you? I wanted to say, hey, boy, when you, and hand him my, my resume that he had ripped up, I wanted to say, when you run out of charm and you use this, sweetheart. But I didn't do it. See? What amazes me today, being sober, was that I did the things I did then. Because I'm not a person that gives in easily. And I suspect that you alcoholics don't give in too easy either. I think you kind of like me. You have your claw marks on everything that you have released with love. Detach with love, like Alan. Detach. They have their claw marks on it too. <laughs> so I started doing that. I got a job. I got a job. Can you believe it? God provided. I got a job. You know what my job was? By the way, I was a millionaire in sobriety. I made my first million before I was 20 years old. Nobody gave it to me. I made that money before I was 20. And you know what my first sober job was? Get ready for this. It'll blow your mind. It was not on the New York Stock Exchange. I was a dishwasher for the Waffle House. And I earned a buck fifteen an hour. And you know what the bitch, I mean, Katie said I had to do? You know what Katie said I had to do? 
she said I had to get down on my knees every night and thank God for my sober job. Went home. I got on my knees. Dear God, thank you for another shitty day of sobriety. Dear God, thank you for my shitty job at Waffle House, earning a buck fifteen an hour. Gratitude Month came up, November came up, and they made me the the chairman of the gratitude dinner. I wasn't grateful for shit. I used to tell them, you alcoholics, you would talk about these damn meetings, you talk about gratitude. Oh, I'm so grateful I'm an alcoholic. You're liars. You're just liars. All of you are liars. So they made me chairman of the gratitude dinner. And I had to open a bank account. I said, Katie, my parole officer never let me open a bank account. They don't even let me go in a bank in Florida. That was one of the conditions of my life parole. I had about 8,000 bum checks, so they wouldn't let me even go in a bank in Florida. So she went with my parole, with me on a visit to my parole officer, and you know what she said before we went to see the parole officer? God will provide. And we went in there, and she started that smiling routine, that orangutan with all them teeth, you know. And my guy, we came out of there. I had permission to open a, a bank account, and she was going to help me sign it. And I'm a thief. I am a thief. If it is not nailed down, I will steal it. And all of a sudden, I'd go to groups, meetings, and they'd give me $20, $50, seed money. This is the money to buy the, the meat with, Patty. All of a sudden, I had $3,500. And I was earning a buck fifteen an hour washing dishes. And the old thinking sets in. You could be out of Florida, honey, tonight with your $3,500. And I called Katie up. And I told her that. And then when I got off the phone, it surprised me that I called her and told her what I was thinking. I had never done that before. Because what I think, they lock you up for. And she said she was proud of me. I started doing things to please that that woman. I started doing things to please her. It was the first time in my life I had ever had any hero worship. And I just told you that I had this bugaboo with how to please this woman. She used to come to me and say crazy things like, uh, uh, Patty, um... I think you better show up my house tonight. It's Thursday. And I think we better start doing a budget. Now, I, I forgot to tell you that I'm, uh, I'm, I have a great big brain. I have this big high intellect. I really do. I have a big high IQ. It's kind of like up around two. But I got this big high intellect. People like me get dead before they get sober. Did you know that? Because we quibble. People like me quibble with every damn thing. Have you ever met smart asses like me and Alcoholics Anonymous? You just want to wring their goddamn necks, you know? Have you ever met smart asses? Yeah. And I says, uh, Katie, uh, you know, I'm not a brain surgeon, but it doesn't take much effort to budget above 15 an hour, you know. <laughs> and by this time, I had four little part-time jobs. I, I was the dishwasher at the Waffle House. I cut cloth two days a week at the Cloth World. I was the secretary in the morning and a bookkeeper in the afternoon uh, five days a week. So I had four little part-time jobs. I went to ten meetings a week. That was mandatory. I went to a meeting every night, two on Saturday, three on Sunday. 
had a coma sponsor at least every day and had SEMA sponsor every day. And she said I had to come over on this Thursday night to, to do the budget. And I got real ticked at it. And I remember saying one time to her after we had been working on my budget for a couple of weeks, I said, you know, Katie, I've read this book. You make me read this damn book all the time. Where in this book does it say you work your budget with your sponsor on Thursday night? She says, oh, honey, it's in there. You just haven't got there yet. <laughs> so one night, Katie said in my budget meeting on Thursday nights before we went to our meeting, Katie said, I want you to make a list of everybody you owe, everybody you've ever stolen from that you can remember, everything that you can remember that you owe. Oh, God, she's really wigged out this time, you know. But I did what she asked me to do. It took a long time, and it was close to a quarter of a million dollars. And she says, now you have to start paying these people back. I said, what? She said, you have to pay them back. I said, well, I thought I'd just go bankrupt. Oh, no, 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 no. That's stealing. Bankruptcy is stealing. And if you steal from these people, you're going to drink again. You must pay them back. I said, Katie, my God, how in the hell am I going to pay $250,000 back on a buck fifteen an hour washing dishes? She said, God will provide. So she made me go get $51 money orders every Friday. Every Friday. And after about three months, one Friday I walked into the People's National Bank in Lakeland, Florida. Every Friday, I walked in there every Friday and paid, bought $51 money orders. It cost me $75 to buy $50 worth of money orders. Because they charged me 50 cents for the, for the money order. And this not real nice looking man called me over and he said, uh, this, he said, <clears throat> every Friday you come into my bank and you buy $51 money orders. And he said, uh, it's none of my business, but, uh, we're just interested why you do that. And I said, well, do you have time? <laughs> and he said, yes. He invited me in his office, and I told him my story, my whole story, and about Katie and everything, and about the restitution, and about the amends, step number nine. And he was sitting there, and he had his mouth open, like that. And he says, you mean Katie says that if you don't pay these people back, you're going to get uh, drunk again, and if you get drunk again, you're going to die. I said, yes, sir, that's it. That's Alcoholics Anonymous. Got to pay him back. That's the program. Has nothing to do with drinking. It's paying him back. It's mad. He says, "Oh, that's wonderful." I said, "I don't think it's wonderful." <laughs> and he says, "From now on, when you come in my bank on Fridays, you buy seventy-five one-dollar money orders. There'll be no service charges." And I went. I went home that night and I called Katie up. See, I had always thought the enemy was out there. I always thought the enemy was people who didn't drink. I always thought that the people out there hated alcoholics and they could do anything they wanted to do to try to hurt us. And and, and if they found out we were recovering, it, you know, it would be bad for us. I'm not one for breaking my anonymity don't, at the level of press, press, radio, or film. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes I think alcoholics have to learn a, a valuable lesson that the enemy is not out there. Those people are just happier in hell that we're sober. They just love it when we pay taxes. When we get off the dole. They just love it. <coughs> Took me ten and a half years. But Katie was right. I paid every sucker back. 
ten and a half years it took me, but I paid them back. Now, do I, thank you. I don't think I had a thing to do with that. I think it was only because I have a gift from God. I have amazing ability to be able to make money. I think that's a gift from God. Some people don't have it. I have it. We won't go into that. It is. It's a gift. Um, my husband always says that I'm like a cat. You can throw me out a window and I always land on my feet, you know. <laughs> I, I, I can make money. Now I do it legally. <laughs> it's great. I used to steal. Now I steal legally. I'm an accountant. <laughs> it's great. I better not go into that. I want to tell you about college. See, the things I'm trying to share with you tonight, you think, gee, Patty, why don't you tell us about all this spiritual stuff? And and uh, I think that I am giving you spiritual. Um, Katie one time came to me. I was sober about a year. And she says, you know, Patty, you are so brilliant. God has given you such a wonderful brain. You had to go to college. And I sit there and I looked at her. I thought, this is it. This is the number. She's wigged out this time. I'm going to ten meetings a week. I work four part-time jobs. She's got me going down to the prison on Monday nights. It's 150 miles down the road, 150 miles back. I did not own a car. <laughs> I made it down there for every Monday night for 13 months. You know how I made it down there every Monday night for 13 months? Down to prison, Avon Park Prison, 150 miles away. You know how I did it? God will provide. That's what the bitch told me, and it worked. One Monday at a time. And then she comes up. She used to come up with these. I could see it in her face. There was this thing, this aura that used to come over, and I knew that she was cooking up a new deal for me, see? And you could just sit and watch her little brain going click, 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 see? And then one night she said to me, Oh, Patty, you got to go to college. She said, God's given you a brain. You can't waste it. you got to go to college. I said, Katie... Katie, I don't, I don't have money and I don't have time. You got me going to all these meetings and now I'm starting to sponsor. I had my first baby, Nora. God, you remember what it's like when you got your first baby? It's like being a Baptist. You know how fanatic Baptists are. They get that book under their arm. Man, they're going to go out and, and, and just, maybe you don't know. I don't know. <laughs> they're going to save the world. There must be a lot of Baptists in here because I see a lot of body language every time I mention it. They get, they kind of get like this, you know. I better get off their tails. Anyway. So I told her, I said, I don't have time and I don't have money. And she looked at me and gave me the old orangutan smile. And she said, God will provide, my darling. God will provide. Went to one meeting too many. And there was Chip. And I'd never met Chip. I'd been going to meetings all over that area. Had never met Chip. God provided Chip for me. Chip had just graduated from Polk Community College with his AA degree. Uh, I thought that was appropriate. AA degree. Associate of Arts degree. And I went to Chip and I said, how did you do it? And he said, vocational rehabilitation. I said, what the hell is that? He said, well, he said, I used to be a thief. A burglar. And the federal government didn't want me being a burglar anymore, so they trained me to be a computer person. <laughs> and I went to Katie and I says, Katie, I used to be a prostitute, and the federal government doesn't want me to be a prostitute anymore, and you want me to go to college and let that college is going to, and vocational rehabilitation. 
She said, it sounds like my tax money to me. I told you she was a Republican. And she said, I was not going to go to college on her tax money. She was kind of narrow that way, I have to tell you. Real narrow that way. She would not have voted for Clinton. Oh, I forgot, we don't get into controversy in AA, do we? And she said, God will provide. And I, we talked that night and talked that night. I said, Katie, I can't afford to go to college. I can't, I don't have the money. I can't afford it. I says, I can go to college on this vocational rehabilitation. She says, no way. And we talked and we talked. And finally, in desperation, I said, but I'll pay them back. She said, oh, well, that's okay. <laughs> so I think I'm one of the few people that ever paid the Department of Vocational Rehabilitation back five grand. I did. And they sent me a letter and said they didn't know what the hell to do with it. <laughs> and I went to Polk Community College, and I finished two years of college in one year. And I, and, and I was sober about two years. And fourth steps, my God, I used to think that woman, she used to hold up a pencil at meetings. We'd be, we have a, you know, fourth step meeting. I don't know about your meetings, but anytime you want a short meeting, just talk about the fourth step. Short meeting. Very short meeting. And we'd have fourth step meetings and Katie would pick up the pen and she'd look at it like you'd look at a lover. She'd gaze at it. You know, she little, she's half bubble off, Katie was. And she'd be gazing at this pencil. She'd hold up with this pencil. She'd say, see, cost a nickel. Old, cheap old pencil. Said, you can steal one. She said, this is the greatest spiritual tool in Alcoholics Anonymous. iPad. I think, boy, I hope people don't know she's my sponsor. <laughs> she used to embarrass me. See? And she, every time I'd call her up and I'd have a problem, and she'd say, did you inventory that? Have you written about it? Did you do your four columns on it? Stealing, lying, wanting to go to bed with every AA man I saw, you know. Lust, a lot of lust. God, I had a lot of lust. Woo! Horrible. And the more sober I got, the better you guys looked. Woo! It was awful. And I wouldn't even drink with some of you. Whew. I was just so horny. Oh, and I bet you never were. <laughs> oh, you wonderful saintly people here in Arkansas, huh? Never had a lot. Oh, this is the Bible about all you wonderful people here. Hypocrites. Somebody said to me one time, oh, Patty, you're so honest. I says, I just say out loud what you think, sweetheart, and you think I'm honest. I'd have to tell you about one old guy down at the 2720 Club. I was sober about, I guess, a little over my first year. And my hair had grown back, and I had lost down to about 130 pounds. My skin had all cleared up, and I was looking good. Man, I, I was looking good. And I had a nice outfit on from Goodwill, you know. I used to go to Goodwill. I used to shop at Neiman Marcus when I was 20 years old, and now I was putting things on layaway at Goodwill, you know. That's sobriety for you, isn't it? And I went in there this day, and I had just gotten my outfit out of layaway at the Goodwill. And it was so pretty. It was lemon yellow. See, I'll never forget that. It was lemon yellow, and I had a beautiful scarf that went with it, and I had a pin. I can remember that sober outfit. And I walked in, and here he was, Mr. Wright. Probably Mr. Wrong, but I thought it was Mr. Wright. And he's over there in the corner, 
God, did he look good. I had never seen him before. It must have been a snowbird come down to Florida for the winter. And I was looking at him. He was looking at me. You know how the book talks about natural instincts? Honey, those natural instincts, they were just flowing. It was like this big wave flowing. And I was looking at him, and he was looking at me, and we were communicating, honey. We hadn't said anything. We were communicating. Whoa. I just loved it. Oh, my hair was tingling. My toenails were tingling. My legs were shaking. I was just, whoa. I couldn't. I thought, oh, this is it. And oh, what's your, oh, what's your name? The old bitch came in the door, the 2720 Club. There she is. The devil herself came in. And she looked at me. She looked at him. She saw them instincts flowing. And just, you couldn't even blink your eyes. She was over there and whispered something in his ear. My God, I never saw a jackrabbit move faster than he did. Never saw him again. Never saw him again. And when I was leaving Florida, this was a, about a year later, I was leaving Florida, and I said, uh, Katie, I said, there's something that's always bothered me. You remember that guy that time at the 2720 Club? You remember that real good-looking dude? What did you say to him? And you know, sponsors remember everything. They got, they got like this uh, photographic memory of every nasty thing you've ever done. They never forget. They're like elephants. And she said, Oh, I don't seem to recall. I said, come on, Katie. What did you say? One of these days I'm going to be in a situation just like you saw me in. I got to know what to say. She said, oh, I vaguely remember. She says, I just think I said, oh, look, there's our precious Patty. Isn't she beautiful? And he said, yes. And I said, Isn't it a shame she has to take so much penicillin? (laughs) When I was sober a year, I was, uh, 500 people came to my birthday party because I was the miracle baby. I remember Wesley Parrish for, he, God, I love Wesley. I, I miss Wesley Parrish. Wesley came up, John Baldwin was there, and, uh, Annis Proctor from Vero came over and, and all the, the, the people who had helped me in sobriety came over my first baby and my first birthday I was the miracle baby. And, um, I, oh God, it was, there's nothing like your first birthday in Alcoholics Sons. If you're a newcomer, let me tell you, I don't care how long you stay sober. I don't care how long you stay sober. There's nothing like your first birthday in Alcoholics Sons. Oh, just treasure it. And um, I was up there, and I looked good, and I had a barred pair of high heels on, and I had a new, a brand new dress. It wasn't a Goodwill dress. It was a brand new dress. And I looked good, and I smelled good. Oh, God, it was wonderful. And all my friends were at my birthday party, and Katie was giving me my token, my one-year token. And I and 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 she had told me one year was my magic. Uh, you know, I had to zip the lip and cross the legs. And I had asked her how long I had to zip the lip and cross the legs. And she said, we generally start with a year. And uh, and I thought, the first son of a bitch that smiles at me t- is going to get it tonight, whether he needs it or not. And she came, and she whispered in my ear, and she said, some are sicker than others, two years for you, honey. <laughs> when uh, When I was sober about two years, 
I got a good job offer from Hammond, Indiana at a steel mill. They were going to pay me fifteen whole thousand dollars a year, and they were going to send me to Purdue College for my last two years of school. And I went and said to Katie, uh, what do you think? Should I take it? And I thought she would say no, because sometimes sponsors get a little um, possessive of babies. I don't know if they do down here, but uh, we've got one up in Chicago, He, uh, Mr. A.A. I promised I wouldn't badmouth Frank anymore from the podium. We'll have to send him a copy of this tape, Robert. Anyway, um, but some people get possessive of babies. I know I sponsor people, and, and um, I had one I just moved down to Florida. And uh, um, By the way, I have to tell you, I sponsor men and women. I, I, I don't sponsor men and women. I sponsor alcoholics. And... Uh, and he just moved. Uh, he's sober five years. He's about the same age as my son, and I miss him. I miss him. He He's a pilot. He uh, flies for American Airlines, and he comes up to Chicago. He flies out of Chicago, and so I see him. But I miss him. And I, I've had other uh, people move away, and I, it's like a piece of your heart goes goes with you, goes away. Anyway, get back to Katie. And I thought she'd say it was not a good idea, and she said, oh, I think God is is providing. I think God wants you to do this thing. That's the way I feel. And I said, well, how long do you think it'll take me to get through the parole board? And she said, I don't know, but we better go and pray about it. And when Katie said we better pray about it, it was not like, oh, well, I'll say a prayer for you. With Katie, it was very serious business. If Katie says we have to pray about it, it was very serious. And what normally would have taken two or three months took ten working days. And I got permission for my parole officer in my parole board in Florida and I got permission from the state of Indiana and I was scared for the first time in sobriety Patty the confident everybody thinks Patty is so confident so outgoing so confident I was scared I was I was leaving my home group my home group was a stag group by the way (laughs) Katie. Katie couldn't stand special interest groups Katie said that we're alcoholics. We're not men. We're not women. We're not gays. We're not women. Uh, uh, special interest group. We're not young people. We're alcoholics. And she didn't believe in special interest groups. And she wouldn't let me go to women's groups. She said, you go to meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous. She said, according to our tradition, young people's and women's groups are not AA. You can't have any other affiliation. That's my personal opinion I just gave you. So, you know, miracle of miracles. <laughs> it's funny how you, you are ingrained with something, you're taught something, you never forget it. I don't go to women's groups. I don't let people I sponsor go to women's groups. I don't let young people go to young people's groups. You know, if you want to do it, go get another sponsor. Pee on you, you know. I don't believe in it. We go to AA, you know. So she, Katie had heard about this stag group that was meeting on Wednesday night. And so she took me out there this night, slowed down the 35, and threw me out of the car. She said, go bust up that meat. I said, Katie, they won't let me in. Yes, they'll let you in. They have to let you in. You're an alcoholic. It's a meeting of alcoholics. Anonymous. And I went in. The men said, what are you doing here? And I said, I'm an alcoholic. And Katie says, you got to let me in here. And they said, well, come in, get your coffee, and shut up. Sit down there and shut up. 
And I went there, went the next Wednesday, and the next Wednesday, and the next Wednesday, and a year later, they made me the GSR. <laughs> and the, the only reason they did that was because one month, meeting out of the month, they could have a decent meeting because I was at the GSR meeting, met the same night as the home group. That's the only reason they made me their GSR. I remember going down to uh, the Deauville Hotel in Miami for the big quarterly. It was the first time I went down as a GSR, and oh, I was so, my home group paid my expenses down, which they should, by the way, seven tradition, and, and went down there, and I showed up, and every GSR was allowed to stand up and introduce themselves, and I said, hi, my name is Patty, and I'm the GSR, the new GSR of the Wednesday Night Stag Group. <laughs> and they had applauded for everybody, but they didn't applaud for me. There was a silence that came over. And I, my feelings got hurt. And later I found out that they were shocked. They thought I had showed up in drag. <laughs> so I came to Indiana. And, and I called Katie every night for a month, crying and crying and crying. I said, oh, Katie, I made a mistake. I made a mistake. I said, these bastards don't know how to stay sober. They, they don't know anything about alcoholics. Anonymous. They don't know how to run meetings. They don't know. They don't do anything right up here. And she let me cry and moan and groan for about a month. And, and Katie, God bless her heart, as much as she missed me and as much as I missed her, you know what she said to me? One after about a month, she said, you know, Patty, as sick as they are, they're keeping your ass sober. And I stopped crying. And I stopped feeling sorry for me. And uh, they didn't have any big book meetings. And um, I used to go around and moan and groan and complain for two years that they didn't have any big book meetings up there. And uh, one one Friday, I went to this meeting I had never been to. And uh, never been to this meeting. And they were electing a new secretary. And somebody said, I nominate Patty, Precious Patty. And somebody says, I nominate Curly Sue. And we went out. They were going to vote on this. And I'm walking out and I thought, oh, God, Patty, your ego is just going to get destroyed. Curly Sue is 22 years old. She doesn't even have to wear a bra. <laughs> She's so pretty, and you're going to get defeated, and your ego is going to really be hurt. And I, I was, I was out in the hall looking at her. I hated the bitch. I didn't even know her. I hated her. She was going to get elected. I was going to lose. I hate losing in anything. And I was going to, I was going to lose. So we walked back in, and they were applauding. And somebody says, "Well, congratulations, Patty. You're our new secretary." And then it occurred to me, Katie would be saying just about then, God will provide. And so I got up and they said, well, what's the format of the meeting going to be? Because where I come from, the secretary can choose the format. And I said, we're going to have a big book meeting. What? Oh, we're going to talk about The Road Less Travel or Emmett Fox's book. No, we're going to talk about the book Alcoholics Anonymous. And we started at the beginning. And I did that meeting for nine years. That's ego. <laughs> That's ego. I don't know why I'm telling you all these things. I normally don't say these things from the podium. I better shut up and sit down. I'm supposed to talk about what Alcoholics Anonymous is to me today. 
it's like sober school. Um, when I was when I was with Katie, Katie used to promise me. She said, "Patty, if you can stay sober five continuous years, something magical and mystical will happen to you when you're five years sober." Now, why she ever picked that number five, I don't know. But I'll have to tell you that some days when I went up north and and uh, going to school was not a joy anymore. And being at the big university at Purdue was not, uh, it, and having to work full-time and go to school full-time and and just having enough money to just make ends meet. And it, it would cost a hell of a lot more to live in Chicago than it did down in Florida. It was just terrible. And sometimes I think about staying sober five years. And something magical and mystical was going to happen to me. And I would daydream and I'd think, oh, I'm going to have a penthouse on Lakeshore Drive. I'm going to be married to tall, dark, and handsome. And I'm going to have a red Maserati. Well, I don't care what's magical and mystical to you. I'm telling you what's magical and mystical to me. Well, I got to be sober five years. One day at a time, I got to be sober five years. And I remember calling my sponsor up. My second sponsor was my sponsor for 11 years. He was a Jesuit. That is a whole other story. And if I ever get invited back, I'll tell you about the story of uh, the Rev. My God, you thought Katie was crazy. And I called Donald up uh, one night, and I said, uh, and I was crying. And it was my fifth birthday. And I said, Donald, I said, I'm crazy. And he said, praise God. I said, what? I just told you I'm crazy. And you're saying, praise God. What the hell's wrong with you? And he said, well, thank God we got that over with. Now we can go on. I said, what do you mean now we can go on? What the hell do you think I've been doing for five years? He said, oh, honey. My God. He said, we... You know, everybody's been worried about you. Don't You don't really understand, do you? You really don't understand step one, do you? And I got very indignant. What do you mean I don't understand step one? He said, oh, darling, there's many, many, many levels of powerlessness that you're going to have to go through in this world. You have just started scratching the surface. You don't know what powerless is. I didn't feel too good. But he's right. So I promise you all, if you stay sober five years, something magical and mystical is going to happen to you. You're going to find out what pain really is. (laughs) See, this old crazy Jesuit told me one time, and I never understood anything he ever told me the first time. And I'm brilliant, but I told you I have no common sense. He told me. He said, only the truly humble grow through love. The rest of us have to grow through pain. And I don't know too many humble people. I really don't. People like me grow through pain. I get in pain, and then I pick up the greatest spiritual tool in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I write about it, and then I go tell somebody about it, and then I do some six and seven step about it, and then maybe little bit by little bit I grow through it. And hopefully I'm a better person today. The Patty today still lies, still cheats, still wants to be a thief. I don't think there's a day that doesn't go by I don't think about stealing. I one time asked Katie, I said, Katie, will my thoughts ever change? And she looked at me and she said, oh, honey, we really don't care about your thinking. I said, what? 
I said, Katie, I think some pretty bad stuff. She said, honey, I really don't have enough time to worry about your thinking. What I care about is your reactions to your thinking. She said, if you want to steal, think about it all you want to. Just don't do it. And I said, but will my thinking ever change? She says, maybe, maybe not. But as long as your reactions to your thinking are God-directed, you're going to be okay. And I sometimes I'll be sitting in traffic and there'll be an old lady crossing right in front of me. And sometimes I just want to splatter. See, I told you y'all don't. Never mind. I, I do. And, and sometimes some bastard will get in front of me. He's got a Mercedes that can go 900 miles an hour. And my little car can go 85. And I just want to bump him because he's doing 43. And I want to bump him. Just bump him and push him down the goddamn Dan Ryan. But I don't do it. See? And see, to me, that's spiritual. That's spiritual. See? And, and, and every, and every January, I pay the taxes. I pay my taxes. Katie made me, Katie made me write a letter to the IRS. I cried. I sat and cried this night. I said, Katie, I can't do it. Don't make me do it. Nobody writes the IRS. You wait till they write to you. You don't never, never. She said, shut up and write them. If I'm a taxpayer, you're a taxpayer. It's spiritual. Write the IRS. And I wrote this letter. Dear uncle, guess what? I'm alive and well and living in Lakeland, Florida. And they wrote me back a letter. It wasn't a form letter. It said, Dear Patty, we're so happy to hear you're alive and well and living in Lakeland, Florida. And it took us six months, and they helped me piece together my past, and we cut a deal. Dollar a week, just like everybody else. (laughs) And about six months later, I got a letter from them and said, Because of the extraordinary circumstances surrounding uh, this case, we are going to waive all penalty and interest. See? Miracles happen. Miracles happen. I'll share another miracle with you, and then I, then I better shut up. I had been invited to some little town in Indiana near the Ohio border called Winchester, Indiana. Went there, gave my sorry little ass talk, you know, had everybody crying about what a miracle I was. Oh, back in those days, man, I could get them people crying. God, I was good. I was hot. Miss A.A. Youngest person to ever speak at Founders Day. My God, I was on a roll. I went to 40, I was invited to 47 conventions out of 52 weekends. Youngest delegate to the General Service Conference. Only five years in sobriety. My God, I was on a roll. Miss A.A. I'll tell you about what Father Don did after I tell you this. I promise to shut up. I want to tell you what he did to me. Anyway, get back to my story. I was in Winchester, Indiana. Tell my sad-ass little story. Didn't think any more about it. Went back to Chicago. Went on with my life. Went to work every day at the steel mill. Went to Purdue. Hated it. Did it. Katie said it was spiritual. I did it. And I get a call one day at the steel mill. And it was my parole officer. And he said, are you sitting down? God, that instant fear, that old alcoholic instant fear just came up and grabbed me right by the throat. And I thought, my God, what have I done? What have I done? And I started crying. And I sat down and I was trembling. My heart, I was just jumping. He said, you know, I don't know what you did, but the governor of Florida just signed your pardon. You don't have a criminal record anymore. 
some old lawyer, some old retired lawyer in Winchester, Indiana, had heard my story, and some didn't click, and he started checking into my murder trial. And uh, four cops had raped and mutilated me in county jail. And uh, that had never come up at the trial, my murder trial. And it was right after Joanne Little had gotten acquitted in South Carolina. And uh, so there was a precedent. Miracles happen all the time. We just have to be receptive to them. God is trying to work miracles in our life every minute of every day, and we just got to be receptive. It's just like being an electric cord. you got to plug it into the source. you got to plug the cord in. If you don't plug it in, it can't work. And that's what I try to do. That's my solution. Every day I try to get plugged in to this power greater than me that's going to solve all my problems for me if I just let this power do it. I told you about being Miss AA. One day Donald came to me and he said, uh, he said, I'm sick of you. I'm sick of you. He said, you're arrogant, egotistical, and I'm sick of you and you don't have a message. And he said, you take one year sabbatical and you make coffee and you wash ashtrays and you get to know the people of your home group because they don't know you anymore. And if you don't do that, I'm not your sponsor anymore. So that's what I did. And I hated it because I liked going out of town and being met at the airport. I liked thinking you thought I was special. I liked it. I liked being Miss AA. And I didn't want to be just middle man. That's when you're sober between one year and 41 years. You're middle man. (laughs) You're nobody. If you're a newcomer, they treat you nice. And if you're 41 years sober, they treat you nice. But in the in the middle, you're just, oh, hi, Patty. How are you? Oh, my leprosy is acting up again. Oh, isn't that wonderful? <laughs> and I didn't want to be treated like just garden variety alcoholic. I liked, I liked the applause, 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 applause. And I hated it. And it's the best year I ever had. Got to make amends to my father. I got to see my father after 23 years. Got to see him 10 minutes before he died. And he looked at me and he said, I love you, baby, and I'm so proud of you. And I had waited all my life to hear that. And if I had been off on the circuit, I I might have missed it. I got to go home to Washington, D.C. and bury my mother, my alcoholic mother, who died a wet brain of alcoholic insanity. I got to bury her. I got to meet a wonderful person by the name of Otto who was one of my greatest, greatest spiritual teachers in all of Alcoholics Anonymous. Otto was a a silverback gorilla. See, one Sunday after an AA meeting, I didn't have any place to go, and I went to the Lincoln Park Zoo. And Katie had told me that God would answer my prayers if only I would become teachable, if only I would become willing to become willing that God would send me the answer. And I had never been able to forgive my mother and father for what they did to me. Never, ever, ever was I going to forgive those bastards. I had tried to work my eighth and ninth step on them, and never could I do it. I couldn't do it. I had tried and couldn't do it. And I hated that woman. I hated her goddamn soul. And I thought, I hope there is a hell. I hope she burns for what she did to me. And this is the... This is the woman that was going all over the United States, Canada, and Mexico, giving her wonderful AA message. 
So I was sitting this Sunday watching old Otto. And I went back a month later and I watched old Otto. And his Otto had a family. He had two wives and he had four kids. And we have in Lincoln Park Zoo, we have a, a one of the greatest ape houses. It's all natural setting. And I used to sit and watch and think, my God, how how like human beings Otto and his family are. He had two teenage sons. You know how teenagers pout? They have chronic and terminal pout. And these two teenage sons of his pouted. They sat in corner and they would sit and glare at their father. They hated that son of a bitch. They just, and I thought, that's just like teenagers. And then there was a little baby about a year and a half, and it was still lacked, still suckling at its mother. But every once in a while, it would crawl down from Mama, and it would go over, and it would play with Daddy. But when Daddy got to be too fierce, it would run quick back to Mama, and it would start suckling again. And I thought, so, so like a little kid. And then the delight, the delight of delights. He was four years old. My God, you should have seen him. He used to sit on his father's head. He was a little boy. He used to sit right here on his father's head, and he would bend over, and he would stick his finger up his father's nose like that, or poke him in the eye, or he would slide down, because, you know, silverback gorillas sit there, and and, and Otto, Otto knew he was somebody. Precious child of God, he probably knew he was. And he'd sit there, and he and this kid would slide down his arm, and he was all over his father. And I used to laugh. I loved it. And I'd feel good when I'd go home. And I never had a, a childhood. I, My mother used to let men rape me when I was four years old. She was a, a street whore, and she would bring men home. And she burned me on my breast with an iron. She ran my arm through a wash machine wringer. You know, just a little stuff like that shit. And one day I'm sitting watching Otto. And here comes uh, some people by there, and a man that worked at the zoo was uh, on the microphone, and he was telling everybody about Otto and everything. And he said this comment. He said, "Whenever we get a female ape that has been raised in captivity, we always put her. If she's pregnant, we will put her in a setting like Otto's family." He he just made that comment to these people, and I was sitting there, and I said, "Why?" And he looked at me like, who are you? I said, why do you do that? And he looked at me like I was so stupid. And he said, well, everybody knows that parenthood in apes is the same as parenthood in humans. It is not instinctual. It is a learned behavior. And God provided on that day for me. My mother, she didn't know how to be a mother. She was an illiterate American Indian who had never gone to school, who came from alcoholics, who had been abused and raped when she was a kid. How in the hell did she know how to be a mother? Nobody had ever been a mother to her. My father. I'm the only child of my father. His mother died in an insane asylum in Sicily. He never had a mother. He was the oldest of 16. He didn't know how to be a father. Those two people didn't know. This is not instinctual. It's a learned behavior. Where did these two people learn how to be parents? And on that day, God provided my answer for me. And I became at peace with myself. 
they did the best they could do with what they had. And at that day, at that moment, I was able to let them go. Forgive them, no. That's one. Here's, here's what I've learned from Al-Anon. Al-Anon, the Odad book says, how can I forgive you? Because in forgiving you, I have judged you. Al-Anon taught me that. I can't forgive you because I can't judge you because I've never walked in your shoes before. So on that day, I was able to let those two people go. So what do I owe you? (laughs) I owe you my soul. Forget my life. I owe you my soul. I've trust today. I've never trusted anybody, any place, any time. And I trust you every day with my life. Every day. And you have given me. You've given me everything that I have. Everything that I am. You've given me. You've given me the ability to laugh. I really enjoy life. God, do I have a blast. And I thank you for that. I've talked too long and I love you. Good night. Isn't she wonderful?